life in the kingdom of God has been our ongoing theme for, for this year. And today we're beginning a new series in this year-long focus. And we're going we're gonna to be looking at the promises of the kingdom of God found in the Beatitudes. The, the, the Beatitudes are a listing of Christian qualities that each come with a corresponding divine promise. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are blessed with these qualities. They're not something we have naturally within us, but having been born again, these characteristics that are of Christ uh, become actualized in us along with the blessing of the promise uh, of, those, of those blessings. Now, what we're going to do in this series, every week, I want you to think this way. There's going to be two things that are going to happen. One is we're going to understand what are these characteristics. We're going to look at each characteristic and then how do we live out those promises, that corresponding promise that goes with each characteristic. How do we do it? The, the, the Beatitudes are not imperatives. They're not commands. They're descriptions. I appreciate the way uh, Dustin Binge, the way he explains the, the Beatitudes. He says, he writes, the Beatitudes are not eight random statements about virtue or descriptors of some exceptional Christians. Jesus isn't describing the outstanding characteristics of a few of the most elite Christians. Rather, they are the portrait of a kingdom citizen. And more than that, they portray the heart of the king. Jesus is offering a description of every Christian in every age, in every circumstance, in every setting, in every culture. And we are all meant to conform to its pattern and rise to its standard. The Beatitudes do more than describe a disciple. They also describe Jesus, the master. And what you'll notice in these Beatitudes, everyone begins with blessed or blessed. That comes from the Greek word makarios, which means possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by fullness from God. To be blessed is to experience the satisfaction that, that comes from the favor of God in any circumstance. The Beatitudes are characteristics that describe life in the kingdom of God. And these blessed qualities, there's four things. We're going to say this every week. So go ahead and kind of get this into your mindset. These blessed qualities are, first of all, true of all Christians. This isn't for the varsity squad. This isn't, this isn't for the A-line squad. This is for everybody. Secondly, they're made actual in Christ. And so if you're not a Christian, if you never repented and believed the gospel, you can do these things, but these things are not who you are. By, by nature, we are separate from God and these divine qualities, they come at new birth. And so these are characteristics, yes, that you can do, but in Christ, they become actualized. You're actually living out who you are in Him. Third, they're sought by all saints. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we desire these attributes. We desire these qualities because we, we want to be, we want to represent Christ. We want to be blessed in Christ. And then lastly, they're partnered with, with promises. Every, every characteristic has a corresponding promise. And these blessed qualities, they're descriptions of what it is to be in Christ. They, these promises are the benefits, they're the motivation. And, and we got to know, we're, we're never going to live these perfectly. But as we pursue Christ, we will, we will find and discover more and more how to live out who we are in Him and to enjoy these blessed promises that come as a result of Christ's way of life. And again, you've heard us say this all year long. Christ's way of life is life in the kingdom of God. And our text today, our text tells us of the blessing that comes to those who are the poor in spirit. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Matthew chapter 5. 
We're going to be in verse 3, but Wesley's going to come and read a few of those. So Wesley, come on up. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And uh, we're, in, we're in Matthew chapter 5, which is the beginning of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Wesley, read a few of those for us, if you would, beginning Bless in verse 3. the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Good job, Wesley. Thank you so much. If you would go ahead and be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. All of these qualities are crucial for living the Christian life. It's important that we understand what they are so that we can live them out effectively. Uh, what we've decided to do, and we came up with this this week, I wrote this series uh, uh, over a year ago, but what the preaching team as we were developing this, we thought would be helpful is for us to find a biblical example that we could use. Uh, some of these will be negative examples, some of these will be positive examples. And, and so this week we have a positive example for you. So we're, we're studying Matthew 5.3 and what it means to be the poor in spirit and, and to, to enjoy the benefit of the promise of belonging to the kingdom of heaven. And so the positive example that we're going to use is Gideon. The story of Gideon is found in the book of Judges. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, and I hope you still got it available, go ahead and let's turn in your copy of the scriptures to Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at some sections out of Judges 6 and 7 that, that give us an, a, a real explanation of what this can look like in, in real life. Um, as you're turning there, let me explain what being poor in spirit does not mean. It does not mean feeling sorry for yourself. It does not mean having this Eeyore complex. Oh, bother. Poor, pitiful me. That's not the poor in spirit. It's not being negative about yourself and your circumstances. It's not, it's not, oh, I just, I don't have it. I'm just not as good as them. I don't have all that money. I don't have all those good things. I'm just poor, pitiful me. And it's not assuming the worst. You know, it's amazing. It's a beautiful sunny day, but there's a lot of people that, well, it sure is hot though, isn't it? Just miserable. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I just can't give everything else like everybody else. I don't know. Friends, that, that is not being poor in spirit. Let me tell you, that's annoying, all right? It's annoying. So don't. That's not what Jesus wants, all right? That's not, that's not the beatitude, all right? The, the beatitude is to be the poor in spirit. Now, what does that look like in the real world? Well, it, it looks like being like Jesus. This word is interesting. This word, poor, the poor in spirit, this poor, um, oix, oix. It's, it's kind of funny to say it's a PT uh, omega, oix. The concept is someone who is cowering. Uh, another term was, would even be beggarly. And, and so when you see in the, in the New Testament, when there's, there's someone begging, it's this word, and it's a person who is crouching humbly asking for help. Poor in spirit, beggarly in spirit. And I know that goes against the, the American way. I get it. You know, what, what do we love as Americans? We love power. 
self-sufficiency. I can do this on my own. And there's absolutely a place for confidence in being good stewards of what God has given us. But the blessing that Christ calls us to exhibit and to enjoy is being poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Three things I would encourage you to write down and remember. What, what is it? Three things the poor in spirit are. First of all, the poor in spirit are wise in their humility. They're wise in their humility. Humility is one aspect of being the poor in spirit. When, when we wisely recognize and celebrate the greatness of Jesus, we are, we are humbled by him. You know, the Bible is filled with encouragements to be humble because in that humility, there's a blessing. And I realize it's, it's hard to be humble when, when we compare ourselves to the wrong standard. For instance, look, if you're comparing yourself to me, you have every reason to be proud, all right? You have every reason to be, to be a little sure of yourself if I'm the comparison. But just a heads up, I ain't the comparison. I'm not the standard. It's Jesus Christ. And when we look at our lives in comparison to Jesus Christ, when we see Jesus as holy God as he is, when we see him for his sacrifice and his resurrection power and his soon return, the, the only right response is awe and humility. And there's wisdom in that. When we wisely see God for who he is, we can't help but be humbled by that. And, and when we're not, God helps us. God often helps us and he, he provides challenges us, challenges to, to help us be humble. Understand, if you're sinning, if you're living in sin, God your Father loves you so much, he's going to discipline you. And that's what the Hebrew writer talks about. He talks about the love of a father will not allow his children to continue in sin. Instead, he's going to bring circumstances that are painful. But there are also times when we are walking in the goodness and the greatness of God that we see miracles, we see transformation, we see life, we see great things happening. Even in those moments when we're right smack in the middle of the will of God, there is the temptation to become proud. And so God in his great grace and love, he knows how to keep us from being conceited. So you think about the apostle Paul. Here was a man who had, been, who had been ushered into the third heaven. The second heaven is the sky. The third heaven is the is actual heaven where, where Christ ascended to. Paul saw it. He was there. He was allowed to see it. And there was a temptation within him to become arrogant, conceited. So look what Jesus did. Look what God did. I put this on the screen for you. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. God humbled Paul and God almost always humbles any person that he plans to use. God had already humbled Gideon. By the time we get to Gideon, we see a humbled man. If you will, look at Judges chapter 6. And, and if you would begin to peruse there, verses 1 through 10. And, and what you'll realize has happened is, it, is that Israel was doing evil in the sight of God. Uh, they had done everything that, that Moses had preached for them not to do in the book of Deuteronomy. They had turned to idols and, and they were making up gods and they were doing the things of this world. And so in this evil, there, there was punishment. There's always consequences to sin. And so the, the, the Israelites were given into the hand of Midian. 
That's, that's the descriptor here. They were given in the hand of Midian. What Midian was doing was they were removing the capacity of the Israelites to care for themselves. They were destroying their crops. And so they were making a situation in such that, that Israel would be dependent upon the Midianites to provide their food and their resources. That's what tyrants do. They remove your capacity to take responsibility and care for yourself so that they are responsible for your care. So you are absolutely subjected to them. And this is what the Midianites were doing to Israel. They, they, were, they were now living under, they were given into the hand of Midian and, and they were living in poverty and fear and anxiety. And so they began to cry out to God. And God's answer to their prayer was Gideon. We know that the world is not as it should be, but God is so gracious to work in the world and to let us be a part of it. Listen, Gideon, Gideon was already humble. He, he, already got it. he already had a real sense, and, and that made him wise. You know, there's a, there are a lot of people who are not self-aware and, 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 and they're not wise. They may be rich. They may be successful. You know, maybe you've seen people like this. It always makes me laugh when I see some, you know, go-getter walking into the room and their zipper's undone. You know, or, or somebody's standing up and they got that sharp suit, you know, and they're giving this presentation. I was, I was watching uh, this uh, leadership uh, cast that came out and uh, this guy's up there talking and uh, uh, clearly he'd had spinach for lunch because he had a big chunk of it right there. And he's just talking and I was like, somebody on his staff does not like him because they could have told him, right? But instead he, he's looking unwise or that, you know, that, that, that man or that woman, you know, dressed so nice coming out of the restroom and there's toilet paper connected to their shoe, right? Yeah, I've seen this with athletes, you know, I've seen athletes who, you know, they're a big fish in a little pond and then they get up on a, a larger, a, a larger stage and all of a sudden they realize I am not the best. I am not the absolute, I see it with, we have a lot of really, really intelligent kids here at Living Hope. We get a lot of, a lot of our kids get scholarships and it's always funny to talk to them when they come back from school, you know, they got their big academic scholarship and they come there and they come back and said, you know, a lot of other people got this scholarship and I'm not nearly as smart as I thought I was. And, and I saw this in Nashville for sure. I can't tell you how many times over the years when we were living there, you know, we would, we would, we would meet the next Garth Brooks or whatever, you know, they came to Nashville with their guitar and they're going to be the next greatest thing. And there they are making hamburgers at Wendy's, right? Because they got there and they realized, man, there's a lot of talented people out there. You know, and, and, and you know what a wise person is, is a self-aware person. It's a person that's aware of their limitations. Gideon was filled with wisdom. Look how he described the situation in verse 15 of Judges chapter 6. God says, you're the man. You're going to make it happen. And, and Gideon says, uh, please, Lord, um, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. Manasseh was one of the weakest tribes. Think about what he's saying. He's like, I'm part of Manasseh, bottom. Uh, my, my family is the lowest in the whole Manasseh of, the, of everybody and I'm the weakest of my family. You know what he's saying? God, I'm the bottom of the barrel. You could pick anyone else and they would be stronger and better and more suited for, for, for your service. And God says, no. You're perfectly suited because you're wise. You're wise in your humility. You know that if you're going to do this, that you're gonna to have to rely on God. And this is what all Christians are perfectly suited to be able to do. See, we who are actual Christians, those of us who are truly saved, here's what we know. We cannot save ourselves. 
We, we, we use three circles around here. And we need to, again, understand and remember, when you're talking about God's design, you're not talking about being a little bit better than the worst in the world. When we're talking about God's design, we're talking about perfection. We're talking about holy harmony, which has been destroyed by sin. And there's nothing we can do to make up for that brokenness. The only thing we can do to be saved is repent of self-sufficiency and believe in what Jesus Christ has done on that cross and through his resurrection. So we who are in Christ, we should be, we should be perfectly suited and capable of saying, God, I have nothing that I can bring to my salvation. I have nothing to bring to your eternal kingdom other than what you have stewarded me with. What I'm doing is trusting completely in you and when we repent and believe the gospel, we are able to be self-aware and be wise in our humility. Secondly, the poor in spirit are also hopeful in their weakness. Weakness is another aspect of being poor in spirit. When we recognize the power of Jesus, we are glad to acknowledge and accept our weakness to hope in him. And that's what Paul did after God humbled him. After this, this thorn could not be removed by prayer, after he had seen this wonderful revelation, but understood that it was God's will that he be humble, then he, he became hopeful. Look what he says, and I'll put it on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians 12, beginning of verse 9. I wonder if you can pray this. Paul prayed and, and spoke. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Getting to that place where we are hopeful in weakness is rarely comfortable. It's something we must learn by grace. As God works in our life, Gideon had to go through this process where he could be hopeful in Christ alone, where he could embrace weakness and so if you go to chapter seven, you'll see one of the ways in which God had to do this because God said, all right, Gideon, go get the Midianites. And so Gideon did what, what any uh, military leader would do is think, I need some soldiers. So he goes and he gets thousands of soldiers and he's ready to go attack the Midianites. And I love the response of God. If you look there in, in chapter seven, God says, you got too many. Because this, this victory isn't going to come because of your strength. It's going to come because of the miracle, miraculous work of God. I don't want you hoping in the power of what you can do. God said, I want you, I want you hopeful in the power of what, what only God can do. So you've got to be hopeful in your weakness. You've got to be willing to say, I'm going to trust in you. So, so what did God do? He said, all right, if anybody's been, been married, if this is their first year of marriage, they got other stuff on their mind anyway, send them home. And then he said, all right, it's time to get some water. I only want boys that have been raised by their mamas right. So if they drink like a dog, get rid of them. I want guys who are, who's washed their hands before they drink. Got down to 300 soldiers. 300 from thousands. Why? Because God does not want us to be foolish. He does not want us to ever believe that we have the capacity or strength to come up with the, the, the means by which we can be saved. It's always grace. It's always God. And we must be hopeful in our weakness, which means we are hopeful in what God alone can do. Over the years, I've studied revival. Uh, academically, I've studied uh, awakenings. I, I've, I've studied churches. I've studied leaders. And here's what I have found that has destroyed Christian lives. What's on the brink of possibly destroying, destroying our denomination? 
is, is, that, is that first of all, people start taking pride in their method and programs. Rather than trusting in Christ, they start talking about all the things that they can do, all the things that they have and all the things. Again, there's nothing wrong with methods and programs. You got to have them. But trusting in them, that is, that's, that's not hopeful. People start taking pride in their perceived abilities and personalities. And so when churches and denominations begin to put their hope in a personality, when, when it becomes about the cool guy and the look and, the, and all the, that stuff, you can know that there's soon going to be a fall. You can study the last five to 10 years of the largest churches in America, and you will find in many of them, there have been those who have fallen from leadership. I appreciate Rick Warren. I don't agree with everything that he necessarily teaches or believes, but I, I do respect the fact that he and his wife Kay have been faithful to one another and to the Lord for their many years. And as they step away from ministry, that they're able to say, Lord, we've run the race. We've been faithful. You know, when he graduated from seminary, before he started that church, he created a list of 20 men that he was graduating with that he had an abundance of respect for. Only one of them, only one of them remained in ministry. 19 out of the 20 disqualified themselves with sin. How does that happen? People start thinking they're smarter than God. People start thinking that they've got it. They've got the, the secret sauce and their, and their, their personalities and their abilities and their programs. And then they start taking credit and robbing God of glory. And they start taking holiness for granted and they don't allow accountability and they allow sin to, to, to just kind of sneak its way in. And so the four P's we've talked about them, power, pleasure, popularity, possessions. It will destroy a life. It will destroy a church. It will destroy a denomination. It will remove the blessing of God. And those are the things that you're pursuing when you're not, when you're not hopeful in weakness. And we've got to be so careful that we, we trust in God because friends, people are going to fail. Programs are going to fail. Denominations are going to fail. Nations are going to fail. God doesn't fail. And so we must, we must hope in, in our weakness and by trusting in his greatness. And then the third thing, the poor in spirit are, are faithful in their obedience. Obedience is another aspect of being poor in spirit. When we recognize the greatness and goodness of Jesus, we have faith in him and are glad to obey him. Friends, disobedience is always a lack of faith in God. Why did Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit? Because they didn't have faith in God. Why, why did Saul, why did he, why did he make the sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel? Because he did not have faith in God. Why did, why did Peter deny Jesus three times? Even after Jesus said, heads up, you're going to deny me three times. Why did he deny him three times? because he lacked faith in God. He feared a teenage girl more than he feared God. Friends, what about you? Think about the last seven days, how you've sinned. Why did you do that? Because you don't, you don't trust God. You thought you could tell that lie because you're smarter than God. You thought you could talk to, down to people and be rude and insensitive and hurtful because you thought you're better than them. You, you, you thought you could get away with something that other people shouldn't be able to do, but you can do because after all, it's, it's you. What, what does that tell you? It tells you that there's a lack of humility 
It also tells you that there's, 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 not, there's not the hope and weakness, but ultimately it tells you that, that there's, there's not faithfulness and obedience. Listen, there are gonna be times when God's gonna tell you to do what doesn't make sense in a worldly way. All right, go to verse 19 through 21. Look at what happened to Gideon in, in chapter seven, verses 19 through 21. God says, all right, you got your 300. They're going down. Let's go get them. Now look at the battle plan. Notice what is not in the soldiers' hands. No one is carrying a weapon. No one has a sword. No one has an, a, a bow and arrow. What do they have? In one hand, they, they have a clay pot. And in the other hand, they have a torch. And, and, and Gideon's saying, we're going to get them now, boys. I mean, imagine we're about to go to war and you, you uh, unwisely elect me to be your military leader. I come and say, I'm the military leader. Here's what we're going to do. We're only going to take a fraction of us and here's how we're going to take them down. Boys, here's a vase. Here's a flashlight. Let's go get them. When I yell, I want you to break the vase and say, in the name of God and Pettus, and then flash your flashlights at them. And they're going down. I think we'd elect a new leader. Anyone else think that? Anyone say, yeah, no, 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 no. We love Pastor Jason. Let's put the little bald guy in a padded room. He can't help us anymore. But what did Gideon, that's exactly what Gideon did. Guys, listen, there are times when you're gonna think you're smarter than God. We all get there. There are times when we, we think we've got it figured out. And it's okay for us. It's okay for us to tell that lie because of our circumstances. It's okay for us to talk down to other people. It's okay for us to be rude. Go, understand what we're doing there. It's we're sinning. We're choosing not to obey because we think we're better or smarter than God. You know what the, the poor in spirit do? The poor in spirit say, God, I don't get this strategy. Everybody else is lying. God, I don't get this strategy. Everybody else is cutthroat. Everybody else is looking out for themselves. God, I don't get this strategy. But what you're telling me to do is to be honest and loving and respectful and kind, to turn the other cheek and to pursue my life like Jesus Christ. I get it doesn't make sense, but because you tell me to, I will obey. Friends, is that your heart? If not, then you are lacking. You are not the poor in spirit because you think you've got it figured out. You think you don't need God. And there's not that humility. There's not that faithfulness. That there is not that, that, that hopefulness. So remember, the poor in spirit are, are wise in their humility, hopeful in their weakness, faithful in their obedience, which frees them, write it down, which frees them to be used by God. If you will, real quick, real quick, we just got a few minutes left. Go back to chapter five. I wanna show you something in verse three. Something really interesting in this verse that also exists in, in verse 10. In, in verse 3, first of all, I want to point out the obvious. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. Uh, Matthew likes the, the Greek word urnos. He likes the word heaven. Uh, instead of theos, God. So rather than saying kingdom of God, throughout his writings, Matthew would say kingdom of heaven. It is synonymous with kingdom of God. Now look specifically at, at the last part of verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I want you to notice the verb tense here. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Look in verse four, look at verse five, look at verse six, look at verse seven. 
Look at verse eight, look at verse nine. Look at the verb tense. It's future absolute. It's not will, it's shall. It's future absolute. It's absolutely going to happen. But then look in verse 10. It's immediate, for theirs is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That means that there is a promise, a blessed promise that comes with the characteristic of being poor in spirit. What is that? There's three things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this online later. Let me say it to you real quick. The kingdom of heaven provides, first of all, a, a people to be a part of. A people to be a part of. You're, you're, it's something bigger than you. This is 1 Peter 2, 9, beginning, the very, very beginning of the verse. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You know what he's saying? You have a life that's bigger than just you. You're a part of something that's bigger than you. You're a part of something that's going to last forever. You're a part of something that's important. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. More than that, a purpose to live for. He goes on and writes, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You get to help other people. You get to point them to the Savior. And then you get to have a new identity, to live it out. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are the, you are the blessed of God because you're saved by grace. You are God's people. You're a part of the kingdom of heaven and you have a role to play in the kingdom of heaven and you have a place in the kingdom of heaven and an identity to live out if you're saved. Now again, these beatitudes, if you're not a Christian, you can, you can conform behaviorally to most of them, but that will never be who you are until you are in Christ. And those promises will never be yours until you are in Christ. And some of you are here today and you're not in Christ and that needs to change right now. Some of you are in Christ, but if you're honest, you're not the poor in spirit and you need to repent today. You need to acknowledge that. You need to acknowledge what is lacking in your characteristics of Christ and, and, and see that these promises they can't be bestowed upon you because you're, you're not in, in, in step with, with the Lord. So you need to come and you need to repent. You need to get on your knees and you need to cry out to God. And you need to ask for his help. And we're going to have opportunity to do that, to do that right now. We're going to sing um, about turning our eyes on Jesus. And, and as we do, you, you can come and pray. I'm gonna, if you don't mind, let's stand together. And as you stand, I'm going to ask our care leaders to come front. They're here to talk with you, to pray with you. If you just want to pray on your own, feel free just to come and pray and ask God to renew you. Ask God for his help. Let's pray as we prepare to do this. Lord God, we are so grateful for your grace. And Lord, I pray that you, you would right now challenge us. I pray that, that many would, would come to saving faith right now. Come and talk with one of these leaders here at the front. I pray for some who need to, who need to come and repent and renew their commitment and call in Christ and, and that you would help them, Lord. Help them as they ask for your help. Help them, Lord. As we turn our eyes to Jesus, we can do this with hope. So, so Lord, do a work in our midst now in Jesus' name.